Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Great America Show. I'm Lou Dobbs, and we fight for truth, justice, and the American way here every day. Glad to have you with us, and let's get to it. I can't tell you the number of folks who've said to me recently that they don't recognize the country that they grew up in, and they weren't hailing America's progress and advancement, I assure you. They were worrying over our America. I couldn't argue with any of them. We've changed a lot as a nation over the past 60 years or so, haven't we? We've come a long ways from then to now. When I was a kid, and I'll admit that was a long, long time ago, I like going to the barber shop in a small farming town in southern Idaho where I grew up. I'd get there a little early just to listen to the customers talking, and I was in awe of most of them, and I loved to listen to their stories and the wit and wisdom of those older folks. They were mostly farmers, ranchers, shop owners, sheriff's deputies, working guys, salesmen, teachers, and all sorts. And I could only imagine what they would be saying if they could see their country now. The only thing they cussed more than the Soviet Union was high taxes and bad weather. And the fools who let the commies send up a satellite before the United States could in late 1957. Yes, I still remember that. Come to think of it, they weren't too happy that their favored president, President Eisenhower, had lied about the downing of a U.S. spy plane, a U-2. That was in 1960. And we were about to get a president. Most of those fellows would criticize even more. First, they thought President Kennedy had stolen the 1960 election. Funny business, they said, with labor unions, West Virginia and Cook County. Just in case you're thinking we have only recently had a problem with elections. From the beginning, too much went wrong for JFK in quick order. A few months after Kennedy was sworn in, my barber shop mentors were as heated as I'd ever seen. Kennedy, they said, bungled the invasion of Cuba at the Bay of Pigs. It was a disaster, and a couple of months after that, another disaster, maybe because of the Bay of Pigs fiasco. Soviet President Nikita Khrushchev ordered the withdrawal of the Allies from Berlin, and the Cold War raged as the East Germans built a wall around East Berlin. Things weren't getting easier for President Kennedy. The Cuban Missile Crisis came a year later. And no matter what some of the newspapers of the day did, which is hail Kennedy as a hero, a group of men in that little barbershop in Rupert, Idaho, blamed the crisis on Kennedy's weakness. And they weren't about to change their mind, no matter how it ended. They even supposed Kennedy had traded our missiles overseas in Turkey to resolve that crisis we would find out later that they were right about that deal. I wouldn't want those men I looked up to so long ago to have to see what's become of their country. The point is, I suppose, the country started slipping away from all that most expected America to be long ago, the late 50s, the 60s. A great nation has reeled from a mad war to one crazed conflict to another in the years since. 
We all have enough to worry over, plenty about our kids and our grandkids, and one of the few things that most Americans can agree on is that America isn't the same country as the one we grew up in, and that one way or another, we're likely the ones to blame for all that it is now, who let too much of the bad win too many fights against the good over the years. And there is no doubt in my mind whatsoever that we are living in an America now divided by good versus evil. And to many of us, it seems good is running in second place. About half the country thinks the 2020 and 2022 elections were rigged. Most of the country, about 70% of us, say the country's headed in the wrong direction. And most say that President Biden should take a cognitive test. And I haven't seen a single poll that asked the question, are you afraid of your government? Did you ever think you'd see a time when the FBI and Justice Department had so obviously tried to frame a president of the United States and then made him the target of their political persecution for what is now seven years and that they'd get away with it? To this point, they have. But they are now known dirty cops and tools of the radical Marxist Dems and the deep state. Our guest today is former assistant director of the FBI, Chris Swecker. He was in the FBI for almost a quarter century, and he practices law now in Charlotte, North Carolina. Chris, great to have you with us. Thanks for being here. The FBI and Justice Department are racked with political corruption. What happened to this organization that was once storied, highly respected? Yeah, it's it's a sad story, actually. I mean, it, and it kind of crept up on us, those of us that have loved the FBI and served in the FBI. But I, I think what happened started under Robert Mueller when I was the head of the criminal division and, and ultimately the, the uh, acting executive assistant director. He was he was fighting that battle after 9-11 of trying to keep the FBI as one agency. There was a big movement afoot to after the 9-11 hearings and the 9-11 report and the WMD commission to split us into a, a, an MI5 and an MI6 type thing or CSIS and RCMP as they have up in Canada. And so he was, he was fighting that fight and I admired what he was doing. He was, he was very, you know, in my opinion, making some good moves here and there, but the moves that, that he initiated, which I think carried through Comey and accel- accelerated through Comey and, and Ray was, he started to parachute in people from outside the FBI, primarily from the Department of Justice, and stick them in very influential positions in the FBI and expand the bureaucracy inside the FBI so that it was a top-heavy organization. Louis Free had done just the opposite. He had he had sent agents back to the field and tried to lighten up headquarters and have the field, the experienced caseworkers out there, investigators, journeyman-level agents running investigations. So in comes a bunch of Department of Justice silk-stocking lawyers who who have make a living out of moving in and out of the Department of Justice, back to the law firm, come back in, burnishing their credentials, developing political connections. And as, as we started to see under Comey, and of course, Bob Mueller and, and Jim Comey are both from the Department of Justice. Right. And big law firms. So under Comey, it becomes almost lock, stock, and barrel. Again, more positions created, more more senior executive service positions created, and all you know. Instead of promoting agents up through the ranks into the important positions, we started to see more and more Department of Justice people coming in and filling these positions. 
and with the with you know with them comes all their political connections, all their ambitions, their big resume, and their you know their intent to burnish those credentials and then go back out into the private sector. So they don't want to make anybody, they don't make any waves, and, and they go along with other members of that club, if you will. So I'll sum it up in a nutshell. It just continued under Chris Ray. And so what we see are now are political ideologues now ensconced in some of the top positions in the FBI. And then you have a director who's pretty pretty much part of the club, willing to go along to get along, and allowing these people to work their their political angles. And instead of sticking to the knitting of the FBI, which is counterterrorism, counterintelligence, organized crime, major white-collar crime, civil rights, all all the things that made the FBI the premier agency in the world. So I, I, that's a long wind-up, Lou. I'm sorry about the long answer, but it, it, I, I think it's been 10 years in coming. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an important answer, and I and I appreciate your uh, giving us your perspective. The FBI, to go to the the earliest point you made, dividing the FBI up into a, a domestic and foreign uh, operation foreign intelligence operation, uh, it really is the, the point at which the FBI, it seems to me at least, uh, went off the rails. Uh, and uh, we know that the surveillance, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on any point, but the FBI gets its, its information from the NSA, its surveillance information for national security purposes. That information obviously uh, contains domestic uh, uh, evidence as well. Uh, surveillance, and then it has to be, it's just too convenient for a, the the world's most, at one point, the world's most respected law enforcement agency now has access to information that, frankly, it should not have. And uh, it, it, and when you politicize it, as you described it, uh, it, it, it is, a, it's a, a witch's hell brew, isn't it? It is. And, and, and there's some nuances here when you when you look at the FBI's counterintelligence mission. I mean, they're supposed to be the spy catchers. The CIA are supposed to be the spies, and the NSA supposed you know kind of just collects information out there uh, in technical type information. So you know the what we see now is the FBI wants they seem to want to really concentrate on domestic terrorism. And they get they get very they get very close to the First Amendment and infringing on the First Amendment. No, I won't even say close. I think they they've actually crossed that line, and that's what happened back in the old days. It wasn't so much you know under the Church Committee. It wasn't so much the the counterintelligence or the domestic terrorism type information. I'm sorry, it wasn't so much the counterintelligence mission as it was the domestic. Uh, security situation that got the FBI in trouble, where they started spying on U.S. citizens willy-nilly, and they had they got the wings clipped, and they had some some very specific laws passed to make sure that they weren't able to do that. They found ways around it now, I think, and you know this industry out under the rubric of industry outreach, which is something that we had we set up even during my time to to get with industry and help them. Uh, Help, help them with the mission of counterintelligence because most of the trade, most of the the technology that our adversaries want to get their hands on is in the private sector, really. 
and you need their help in protecting that information. What you don't need their help from is suppressing First Amendment rights and the right to assemble and, 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 and speak your opinion and just simply spying on businesses and citizens, U.S. citizens because you don't like what they say and their right. viewpoint. And that seems well, to be where we've gone. As you say, it, 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 the First Amendment, we learn now about the, relation, the relationship in which the FBI is actually telling Twitter what to do. Uh, they are demanding that certain citizens uh, be denied their rights, uh, their freedom of speech. Uh, it is, uh, uh, and of course, that's true across all, not all, but nearly all uh, social media platforms. It's happening with legacy media, that is corporate-owned, uh, big news, big, uh, big media. Uh, we are watching this country. Uh, we are now de facto a surveillance police state. Uh, and it's really that stark. It is that straightforward. And the FBI is a huge part of it, isn't it? They've allowed themselves to become that. You know, they, they're what they've allowed themselves to do uh, is to have the Department of Justice, which has about 30 political political appointees in it. Um, co-opt the FBI and and impose their agenda, and which in, by extension is really the administration's agenda, into a law enforcement agency and and, and weaponizing them. So, uh, and I don't want to sound like a political partisan here, but it but it seems to be completely focused on anyone to the to the right side of the political spectrum. Yeah as opposed to the left side. I mean, they talk about, really, there's only left-wing domestic terrorists, as if there were only left-wing domestic, I mean, right-wing domestic terrorists, when in fact there are domestic terrorists on both ends of the political spectrum and wingnuts on both ends of the political spectrum. Parents in schools trying to look out for their children and make sure that the schools are operating in their best interests are not terrorists. You know, in the summer of love, there was more domestic terrorism going on in our cities than we've seen since the 60s. And yet it's essentially ignored because of May, you know, January 6th. So, and then, of course, you, as you brought up, Lou, the, the Twitter and trying to control the, the you know, the, the social media posts that go out and impose on that. I mean, that, none, of the, none of that that I've read had any true nexus to Russian disinformation. They, you know, they were just suppressing free speech is, is what they were doing. And right. I, I cannot believe, and my colleagues cannot believe that it's come to that with the FBI, but I think they've just been completely co-opted. It has to be a strain to try to deal with an FBI that is now so different than the one that you retired from uh, and for all of the other agents uh, as well. Because the the agents that I've known over the years, and it's a handful uh, that I've known fairly well, I, I mean, I would trust them What you know, in any situation. Uh, I trusted their judgment, their values, their, uh, their fidelity to the Constitution, uh, and their concern and care about American citizens and the nation. And, that's, and that yeah. was something that they were very proud of. And if there was ever a, an agency that was in trouble, the FBI was called in because their integrity was impeccable. It is now, uh, it is, it's awful. And when we say that this is about all the folks they brought in from the Department of Justice, 
We now see FBI agents uh, in, you know, in SWAT gear, tactical gear, uh, showing up to, to make a white-collar arrest of a 70-year-old uh, Paul by the name of Roger Stone, for example, uh, it, it, and, and wake him up at 6 o'clock yeah. in the morning, guns, or, uh, you or, know, muzzles in the air. Or you see them kneeling, you know, and, and it's part of a, a protest. And, uh, you know, I, I, Lou, I, when I went in, I was surrounded in my class and, and, and my colleagues, I was surrounded by people who were well-rounded, they had a good education, but they, you know, their average age was about 31, 32. They had life experiences. They were CPAs, lawyers, former military. Uh, you know, they, they had had some many school teachers, really well-rounded people who went into the FBI for the, for just to help people, just, just to do to fight bad guys and do, and do good. I hate to dumb it down, but I, I saw people that took huge pay cuts investment bankers that took huge pay cuts to go in the FBI. And it's been like that or was like that right through 9-11 and, and a little bit beyond that. But unfortunately, I think they've changed the workforce. And I think now there's, you know, in the interest of, of uh, whatever agenda the administration has, it's, it's a lot of Ivy Leaguers. It's a lot of people who, you know, I, I hate to say it, but, but in the name of, of aggressive diversity, have brought in people that ordinarily would not even qualify and pass the test. So I, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but the, the, the culture of the FBI has changed dramatically. And now that, now that it's a, it's a, it's run by a lot of people who have sort of a liberal bent and now you have the workforce, the workforce sort of changing gradually over time. It's, it's an FBI that I don't recognize. Well, I don't believe most Americans recognize it. Uh, an FBI that's a, is participating in a frame up of a na of a soon to be national security advisor. Uh, one of the first things, the two FBI agents are interviewing General Michael Flynn. The frame begins uh, in uh, in August of 2016, months before President Trump is elected, and then. Uh, you know, they frame him, uh, what becomes the Russian hoax, uh, and we go from there with the FBI facilitating uh, a, a scurrilous, scurrilous conspiracy to overthrow a president. And it went on until it, well, it actually is still going on uh, now in its seventh year, the political persecution of a president in large measure facilitated specifically by the FBI and overseen by the Department of Justice. Uh, the intelligence agencies we now know were uh, in it up to their ears uh, and, in fact, intervened in a, in a presidential election in 2020 when William Barr, the attorney general himself, would have intervened to stop the lies that he acknowledged were coming from the mouth of former vice president at that point, Joe Biden, sitting on a debate, standing on a debate stage, lying through his teeth about a, a laptop, about the business dealings of his son and his own knowledge, awareness, and benefits received from those dealings. Yeah, I mean, I, starting with General Flynn, as you mentioned, that, that, was, a, that was egregious. That, that was entrapment at its worst, and that came directly from Jim Comey. 
you know, to go into a presidential appointee under the pretext of a briefing, but it, but with the real goal of trying to get him to incriminate himself in some fashion for for a violation that we've never prosecuted, you know, is, is seldom or almost never prosecuted, and that that's inexcusable. And well, and then you carry through to the, as you say, the Russian hoax, calling it a hoax. You know, you had all these people with the intelligence community, including the FBI, putting out that statement that this was Russian disinformation. That was nothing but a political statement and uh, untrue, 100 percent untrue. And I think what, what's bad about that is the FBI knew it because they had the laptop. Right. Well, they had when you say the laptop, we have to decide it. It was at Uma Abedin's laptop. Was it? Uh, well, you know, yeah, come back. There are a lot of uh, there are a lot of laptops yeah. that the FBI is sitting on. Uh, it seems in Seth Rich's laptop, we know they have now. That's uh, three. We got three laptops right there, and the FBI uh, is still sitting on them and whatever evidence they contain, and refusing to give them up. Yeah, I, that's. I mean, there's a story behind that Aberdeen laptop. The FBI, FBI headquarters, Andy McCabe, didn't want anything to do with it, and the New York office had to go straight to the Department of Justice and expose what was going on and force their hand, or they would have sat on that laptop with all those messages, classified messages that went from uh, Uma to her pedophile husband. So, uh, absolutely. And, and then, so, of course, the Biden, the Biden laptop was in their hands early on. There was already a money laundering investigation because the file number was on the receipt that was given to the computer repair company. And they, they knew darn well that that, that that was not Russian disinformation when they allowed that statement to go out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's it, it just at some point you just say how. How bad can it get? And it's so bad right now that it's uh, it, it's just simply unthinkable. And now we have the Biden files, the undocumented, the un, the unclass, excuse me, the classified documents that uh, that are swirling around his Wilmington residence. Uh, we find out that uh, some were not in the locked garage. Even uh, it looks like a really badly ba bungled. Uh, effort to to cover up uh, a a federal crime. Yeah, that's that again. That that just goes to the. This is an FBI I just don't recognize. You know, they've sat on they've sat on the the Hunter Biden investigation for almost four years now, and there are just no investigation that needs to take that long, particularly when it's not that complex. And then well, we see where. Well, we see other people have actually been prosecuted under the same laws that he's under investigation for. It's it's an extraordinary time in which we live, and uh, the FBI in this instance, uh, we have the Secret Service joining them. Their first reflex when asked about visitor logs was not to be forthcoming, but to stonewall. And now they have acceded to the reality that we all knew was the real deal. And that is, they do know the names of every visitor, and they are willing to at least part with some of those. Uh, but the Secret Service right now, in my opinion, is suspect as well. Well, they've always been very cozy to their protectees. Um, I, you know what I what I'm curious about. And I think this will be this will be important, but nobody's brought it up. Is is video? There, that house is 
buttoned down with security and video, even during the time when when uh, Joe Biden was not vice president. You know, that all that surveillance equipment stays. They don't just yank it out when he's no longer vice president. And then, of course, it depends on how long the, the memory is on or how much they store. But you could go back and review the video like they did at Mar-a-Lago, like they demanded right. to do at Mar-a-Lago. And you could review that video, and, and it would tell you quite a bit. But I'm just curious why nobody's talking about that. I I think it's the usual re- reason, Chris. Uh, they don't want to know. They don't want anyone else to know uh, what story it uh, it reveals. Uh, I know that uh, you know you are you know, like all of us. Uh, we're we're some days we're just saying here we go again with all of these scandals. Uh, it's your your former home, uh, the FBI, and I know that it's got to be painful for you. We appreciate you sharing your your thoughts, uh, and uh, thank you for all that you've done for the country. Uh, our our policy here is to always give the, our guests the, the last word. So if you will, your concluding thoughts. Yeah, thank you for that, Lou. I, I, I did spend 24 years in the FBI, and, and, and I, I did not see one example of an FBI agent or an FBI leader trying to politicize something or trying to not just follow the factual information that we were developing. And it is sad. I hear from a lot of former colleagues and and they are, they're like me. I haven't heard from anybody who disagrees with our conversation today in, in terms of the ranks of retired FBI executives and, and even current, very recent retirees and current agents as well. Now I'm sure there are people inside the FBI that are, that are okay with what's going on. But let me just say, I, I admire the men and women of the FBI, the investigators who worked their cases like they did in, in Idaho, and, and they, they broke the case in Idaho. Uh, they work cases every day that you don't even hear about because these political cases are, are, are taking up all the media and you know, are captured, right. the media has just captured their, their attention. But there are hardworking men and women in the FBI, and I, I hear from them, and I feel for them. And I hope that we can get back to it being the agency that it was before. It's going to be very hard to put the, the toothpaste back in the tube here. I, I think one, you know, I think they've become woke to the point where I don't know whether they can be the FBI any longer. Well, I think that's a, a that's an absolutely correct point. Uh, I don't know. I think we may well, like you, have passed the point of reform. Uh, there may have to be it. it some point it's almost impossible to to truly uh consider but i i don't see a way around if we're to ever return this nation to its former state uh and integrity to our government uh it seems to me there we have to start anew uh and that is without the fbi and the yeah. department of justice has to be reconsidered as well i believe they need to become a more independent agency now they got you got to have you know, laws and regulations and guardrails in place, but they can't be they can't be controlled. They shouldn't be controlled by a political appointee who is beholden to the to the administration because they have shown no reluctance to impose their political ideologies on the law enforcement agency that we rely on so much. Absolutely. 
Chris Wecker, we thank you very much for being with us here on the Great America Show. We, again, uh, appreciate you being with us, and we appreciate all you, you've you done and do for this great country. Thanks so much. God bless you. Thank you, Liz. Yep, you too. Take care. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. Please join us here tomorrow. Coming up, our guests are Congressman Ben Klein, chair of the Republican Study Group and head of its Budget and Spending Task Force, member of the powerful House Appropriations and Budget Committees. And just the news, John Solomon, attorney Kevin Evans, Mike Davis, the head of the Article 3 Project, and Congressman Troy Nels. Please join us and fight for truth, justice, and the American way. God bless you, and God bless America.